Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, it's Andy Bueller, high school sports reporter and host of the Scorebook Live Today podcast. So the coronavirus has shut down schools and halted high school sports, but we're taking things up a notch in hopes to help during this time of great uncertainty. Each day we're releasing a special episode of this podcast called Dickow's Quarantine Series, where our own Dan Dickow interviews an expert in their respective field from coaches to trainers, authors to uh, former standout athletes. Subscribe to this podcast for free. And please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep everyone safe by washing your hands and following the governor's stay-at-home mandate. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Here's Dan Dickow after a word from our sponsor. Are you a small business impacted by the coronavirus? Washington Federal is here to help. Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live, and it's offering a five-year business line of credit with 90 days interest for free to businesses that have seen a 10% or greater drop. Apply now to receive up to $200,000 on business lines of credit. The folks at Washington Federal understand small businesses may need an emergency loan. They're doing their best to help during this global pandemic. If you're a small business owner who needs help, head to wafdbank.com to apply. Questions? Email business.lifeline at wafd.com. Dan Dickow, Scorbuck Live, Washington, today with our podcast during the quarantine series where we bring you a special guest or an expert in their particular field, typically in the, the world of athletics, whether it's a coach, a athlete, a former athlete, a broadcaster. Today's a unique guest in, in the fact that uh, he's a good friend of mine. We played uh, AAU basketball way back in the late 90s. He won a 1995 state title with an undefeated Evergreen Plainsman team. Um, but he currently is the director of a very unique and uh, I feel a, a awesome nonprofit charity based out of the uh, Vancouver, Washington area. Derek Neslin. Derek, how's it going today in Vancouver, bud? Hey, it's going all right, Dan. How are you guys doing out there in Spokane? You know, we're, we're, we're making things do. We're, we're trying to do a lot of unique things with Scorebook Live Washington, and, and we've got a lot of great listeners, both coaches, parents, student athletes, where we're bringing these interviews, and, and maybe each one of our listeners can find one or two nuggets in each um, in each interview that can kind of really stick with them. And I think uh, from knowing you as long as I have and knowing your path, you've got a, a lot of different special nuggets from your experiences that, that hopefully will be shared, and I'm sure they will be. Uh, I mentioned the 1995 undefeated Evergreen team. Um, it was one of the best high school teams that I've ever seen. Uh, I played against you guys. You guys kicked the tail out of everybody that year. When you look back on that team, which hard to imagine and believe it's been almost 25 years now. Yeah, yeah. What stands out to that team? Yeah, that's a great question. I was, uh, without a doubt, the best team that I've been a part of. Not saying the most talented, but just the best team when you think about a culture of a team and what makes that special. We had a group of guys who just were so committed to each other. You know, we would 
just in the summertime before the season and before we would get people out of bed to make sure they were in the gym. We would all, you know, get to the gym. We had all these crazy workout things we would do together. But it was just this level of discipline and commitment that we had to each other. Combined with really an unselfishness, everyone just wanted to, to win and to um, play for each other. And we ended up, you know, not having huge egos on the team. Everyone just deferred. It was a very unselfish group to be a part of. And we weren't the most talented bunch. I mean, we had, I played at Portland State, but, you know, I was still so rail thin at that point in my development. I was a junior. You remember me. Uh, some guys develop early. I, that was not me. Uh, we have Paul Buster, who played in New Hampshire. You know, he averaged about 20 points a game for us. He was a really good player. But, you know, we just had a lot of uh, role guys that knew what they were supposed to do. And um, it, it was just really special from that standpoint. No egos. Everyone fit together, worked together. We played incredibly hard. You remember we pressed entire games. And just uh, it was a, a, an incredible group that I'll never, ever forget. One of the things you mentioned right off the bat was you had a group that was committed to each other and were selfless. How would you go about fostering that if you were to give advice to a, a young high school coach? How do you foster a group to be committed to each other? Yeah, I think the key is the, the coach can play a significant role, but I think it has to come from the players. So I think a coach has to somehow figure out who those key leaders are on their team and inspire them with a vision to be that type of leader because those are that's who the other players are going to respect and look up to is a, a peer who's a, one of their best players who has that vision and mindset and leadership um, is for me what it's all about. The coach is a little bit limited, I think, in their ability to, to do that other than to work through the leaders that they have on their team. You guys had, uh, as mentioned, a tremendous season. If you look back at your high school years, you had that undefeated state title, and then you had a, a very good senior year before you went to Portland State. Is there one moment or one memory that you look back at and say, that was pretty darn fun. I wish I could go back in time and relive that one more time. Um, that's a great question. You know, the, the memory that stands out to me right now is, you know, is actually at the very end. We, we won the state championship in a tough overtime game against Sammamish. Uh, Chris Walcott, who I think you played with at UW, was on that team. And that was – we only had two games all year that were single-digit games. And that was one of them. It went into overtime, and, and we were down most of the game. So we came back and we won the game and we went into the locker room and we did the interviews and all that. And then we came back into the kingdom. That was at the kingdom because they were preparing for the 95 NCAA final four that UCLA won there. So it was the only time I think in Washington history that I was at the kingdom. And I just remember as an entire team, you know, we went out onto that floor and just basically laid down at center court. No one was in the whole building. And we were just staring up at the sky, you know, talking to one another. And, and it was just a really, really special way to end it. That's a uh, that's really cool moment to, to hear somebody describe it all these years later. And that's one of the things that sports, regardless of level, youth, high school, college pro, can really do is ingrain memories in, into people's minds, especially for somebody who, who had a tremendous amount of success. You went from high school to a brand new program at the time at the division one level, Portland state. How was, how was it being a part of a literally 
as I mentioned, a brand new program where you had a coaching staff and a couple players that were literally just putting the foundational pieces together where you could almost start from scratch. Yeah, it was incredibly unique. I don't know how many other people can say they did that. You know, most times you go to a school and you've, there's a built-in culture. There's people you need to try to beat out for spots. At Portland State, there was, there was none of that, you know. And there were two guys on campus the year before that played two-on-two with our two coaches. And they said that was the toughest year of their lives, actually, because our coaches were crazy competitive. Richie McKay, who's at Liberty now, um, Brad Susie, who, who's been with them this whole time. Crazy competitive, so that was, that was crazy. Um, but we ended up, you know, filling a team that was not bad. We didn't really get blown out that year. Our first game, we played at Ole Miss. And I'll never forget this game, speaking of sports memories, because we were ahead the whole game. And they were a good team that year. They went to the tournament. They had a guy, Ansu Cisse. And how do you how do you scout against a team that hasn't played in 17 years? You know, so they had no idea what we were going to do. Our head coach had never coached before uh, as a head coach. So what do, what do you do? So we're up the whole game, um, and I'm at the free throw line. Shooting a one-and-one, one. we're up one with about six seconds to go. They don't have any timeouts. I missed the front end of the one and one They get the rebound. They, uh, they kind of stall because the ball bounces around. They finally get it across half court. The buzzer goes off. A guy throws up like a wild hook shot uh, long after the buzzer. The first – it goes in. Okay, it goes in. But the first ref waves it off. The ref that's right there waves it off. Keep in mind, we're down south. I think there's only two refs at the time. The other ref runs from the other side of the court, counts the basket. They run off the court. Our coaches are chasing them off the court. The scoreboard goes up. We lose the game. We watch it the next day, and it was 14 frames in slow motion. When the buzzer went off, the ball was still – he was still, like, dribbling the ball. So we, we lost that game, a heartbreaker. Never forget that. Um, but that was kind of the story of our year. We ended up like nine and 23 coach McKay was a finalist for the Claire B coach of the year with coach K Dean Smith. Um, so, and every game we played was competitive. So it was, it was really, really fun to be a part of a group that could come together that quickly and compete. I mean, nine and 23 is not great, obviously, but we were picked by USA today to be the worst team in college basketball. Um, so we surprised everybody, I think. That's uh, those are some really awesome stories and glad to bring those memories back for you during your time at Portland state, knowing you the way that I do know you, uh, you, you developed a love for, for traveling all across the world um, and sharing your love for sports. And, and we'll get into a bigger piece of that later on uh, in the interview, but you started doing some traveling with uh, with a, a group called athletes in action while you were in college. Share what that experience meant to you while you were in the midst of, of your playing career? Yeah, su- really, really significant, Dan. Um, you know, before that, my, my dad was from North Dakota, and that was the extent of my travel. And we would go back there in the summertime. So I had, I really didn't have much experience at all um, with any sort of travel. So my freshman year, I was invited to play on this team that went to Croatia and Bosnia. And I signed up, didn't really know what I was signing up for. And I didn't even really realize at the time that three years, actually two and a half years before that trip, the Bosnian war just ended. So parts of the country were still war torn. 
And we went to this one border town that was just decimated by mortar shells, bridges in the water, UN soldiers everywhere. And we were playing games, you know, against these teams. And um, I have so many memories and stories from those trips, but I think ultimately what it did was it uh, just instilled in me this idea that, wow, this world is a lot bigger place than, you know, my little bubble of a world that I, I kind of have, you know, like there's a lot going on and it, it really planted this desire in me to learn more, to see more, to experience more. And so, yeah, after, uh, after I graduated, I took the chance to play on pretty much any traveling team I could, I could find, um, or that invited me. So I traveled around quite a bit playing at that point. What's your total country count as of now? <laughs> Personally that I've been to, um, I think it's, well, first of all, with this coronavirus thing, I mean, it's going to be about six less than it would have been. Otherwise, we're having to change almost everything drastically, as you could imagine, what we're doing now, which we'll get into. Um, but I think I'm over 70, maybe 75. Wow, that's, that, that is awesome. That's amazing. And that shows you, um, any of the listeners out there, that the, the love of a, and a passion for a game of sports, as well as you know, learning more about other cultures can take you all over the world. And that's the next piece that I wanted to get uh, to talk to you about, Derek, is the fact that you took some of those experiences as a player and realized um, at some point your career was going to be done. What did you want to do next? And then how do I go about doing that? And then you took your love of travel once you started uh, having some of those experience with groups like Athletes, athletes in Action to be able to create and form your own unique nonprofit that um, called courts for kids that not only impacts kids across the world and in different countries to give them access to sports, but can impact the communities of the kids that are leaving to go help these other communities. Describe what exactly what courts for kids does and also how anybody can get involved if they'd like to. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Uh, you, you hit on the highlights. Really, we have two main goals. One is, to help provide access to kids around the world who don't have access to sports typically. So we're going to very, very rural, remote areas, often Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia, and we're partnering with communities to build places for kids to play sports, multi-purpose courts, basketball, soccer, volleyball, badminton. Uh, the community decides, and the word partnership is key for us because these communities are the ones who are applying to us. So we're not trying to convince communities that they need this. They're applying to us, they're fundraising, they're volunteering labor, like they're fully committed in these, these projects. This is something that they want to do for their own communities. They just need some assistance. So that's where we come in and we help provide some funding, some expertise, and then we actually uh, recruit a team from the U.S. Mostly it's high school students or college groups that will adopt the project, will travel down to the community and live in the community you know, our trips are pretty rustic and rough and you got to be up for an adventure and a challenge. But yeah, you're living in the community, you're eating their food and you're working side by side with them to complete the court, pouring a lot of concrete. And at the end of the day, probably 90% of our groups are able to finish the court when they're there, which means they're able to play on a tournament, do a clinic, play some games with the kids. And so, yeah, you hit on it. It's part of it's the sports for development side of it. But equally important to us is this cultural immersion that takes place, this cultural exchange. And it's life-changing for groups from the states and individuals from the states to have a chance to really just live and be immersed in a community and country that's so different 
I mean, it's so different than the world they live in. Uh, it's, it's something that they'll take with them for the rest of their lives for sure. Yeah. It's something that, uh, I, I know it's been obviously a huge part of, of you and your family's life. Um, and it's something that I've gotten behind and believed in because I've seen a lot of the, the stories and, and the pictures and the videos of what you guys have been doing. And so I, I think it's tremendous. And hopefully anybody that's listening um, would go ahead and, and, and learn some more about Courts for Kids, maybe get involved. Um, yeah, I could touch on that, Dan, if you want to. Sure. I know you asked that question. I didn't ask on that. And first, let me say this. Um, so, so your reader or so your listeners can understand that you were a big part of this from the beginning. I mean, I remember coming to you with this idea and vision and you were, were on board and we did the Dan Dickow golf tournament, you know, and that's literally what planted the seed for courts for kids to get launched. So this last year we did 30 projects all around the world and we've done uh, maybe close to 180. I should know that number, but I don't 190 something um, at this point. And literally you're the one with some other people that got behind it initially and helped help launch us. So any success that we ever have, I hope you feel a sense of pride that you were a part of it from the very beginning. So I just wanted to thank, thank you for that and let your listeners know that. Well, I, I appreciate those words. It's something that I've always believed in from, from the time you started talking to me about it. And I wish you guys continued success uh, with courts for kids. But before we started recording, you had shared another travel experience with me that I found fascinating, and, and I think our listeners will as well. You knew about Scorebook Live four or five years ago when we began, when we just started as a scoring app for the game of basketball. You were back in Springfield, Massachusetts, where the game of basketball was invented, and you saw one of the very first basketball scorebooks. Tell us how that trip came about and what that was like learning more about basketball in its infancy. Yeah, so they invited me out to, to speak on campus and to kind of promote interest for Courts for Kids in, in the hopes that they could get some students to do projects with us. And as part of it, I was supposed to go to the, the Hall of Fame that everyone goes to. Well, it happened to be closed that day. So instead of going to the normal Hall of Fame, they took me to their museum on campus at Springfield College. And for those who don't know, the college itself is where the game was invented. So uh, the college at that time in the late 1890s, 1892, I think was a YMCA training school. James Naismith was a, an undergrad student or a, a grad student, sorry, that was kind of helping with the PE program. And so he, uh, you know, ended up, the, the story of the game goes that they had these rowdy, rowdy guys that were playing football and lacrosse and they came indoors because it's cold. A lot of you have heard kind of the general story. And they, they needed to find something to do for them because they're literally destroying the campus because they had all this energy they needed to get out. So James Naismith at one of the faculty meetings said, you know what we need to do is come up with a competitive game for them to do indoors. And whoever was in charge of the program at the time kind of pulled them aside and said, that's a great idea. Why don't you do it? So he spent like a couple weeks trying all these different games and, and nothing worked. And so finally, you know, he was trying to think of all these different uh, scenarios and what he wanted was a low contact sport. So the early game of basketball, you know, that was the big thing is you couldn't run with the ball because they didn't want As soon as he started running with the ball, guys were checking people into walls, guys are getting hurt. So no running. In fact, there was no dribbling. It was just passing early on. Later when they added dribbling, apparently you could either dribble on the ground or you could dribble by hitting the ball up in the air. 
you could run and dribble by hitting the ball up in the air um, because that way you couldn't just tuck it under your arm and sprint. So there were these kind of initial rules that he created, the 13 or whatever it was that are now at the University of Kansas. Got the, he came to the janitor and said, I need some sort of a basket. So he said, well, I got these random peach baskets. You're welcome to use those. Hung them up on the second floor rafter, which happened to be 10 feet tall. That's the only reason it's 10 feet. And the reason for the basket is he played a game in Canada. It's called like rock on a something with rocks. I can't remember the name where there would be a rock on a ledge and you'd have to try to hit the rock off with another rock while someone's guarding it. And he remembered from that that you couldn't chuck the rocks directly, but you had to lob the rocks. And so he was like, I need a game that you have to lob the ball into a basket. Um, so it came from like his childhood in Canada. So he got the peach baskets, set up, set up the rules, and they say that the kids started playing the game, and within a day, it, they were all in. Like, they were all in. And all of a sudden, they're like, there are games on campus. People are watching. There's kids. There's a story of this kid that just was in there one day shooting. You could probably relate to this, Dan. Naismith went in there. It's a kid shooting. What are you doing? I'm just, I feel so good. I'm just trying to see how many I can make. He comes back like two hours later. The kid is still in there shooting. But there was something about the game of basketball that just from the beginning caught on. So much so, this is what I found especially fascinating, that within, I think it was within four or five years, it had spread to five continents. So within a couple of years, it was being played in France, England, all over Europe. It moved to Japan. It got down to like Brazil right away within a couple of years. I mean, it literally was being played around the globe in like five years and then you know before you know it Naismith's at Kansas starting their basketball program there and the rest is history but I had a chance to kind of learn that history and then talk to the archivist who I'd love to have you on have him come on the show who just filled me in on all the history brought me back into the back room showed me some of those original score books like you're talking about where James Naismith's name is on the list as one of the players because they would go faculty versus students those were all their initial games and I don't think the faculty ever won the students always won and I don't think Naismith ever scored a basket in an official game he uh I guess he was the enforcer because he's all over the foul list he fouled all the time no baskets the inventor of the game so it was a phenomenal opportunity uh, I'd encourage anyone who goes back there go to the hall of fame because that's awesome but head to Springfield College you can see some of the gyms still intact where they were playing a couple years uh, into the invention of the game of basketball. That's unbelievable. That is amazing. I, at some point, I do want to get back to Springfield. I've been to the Hall of Fame a couple times, but I, I want to add that to my next trip back there at some point. That's, that is amazing. Last question before I let you go, Derek, and we really appreciate your time. Anybody that has had any amount of success in sports or the business world typically has had a mentor or two that's really kind of poured into them over the course of their formative years, who would your mentor be in athletics? Yeah, I, I think the, the most logical answer for me is my dad. Um, he helped coach me from a really, really young age. He was actually one of the coaches on that Evergreen team. Uh, so my dad helped coach. My brother was a senior. I was a junior. It was a kind of a whole family affair. And he, he just, he was involved in my life, you know, for, for a long, long time as a basketball coach. Now he's 80, uh, geez, 
87. He'll be 88 next month. He has Alzheimer's, so he's kind of lost his mind, which it's, it's sad. Um, and, you know, I'm coaching my boys now. And it, it's sad because I know he, he comes to the games, but he can't really follow what's going on. Um, but I would love for him to be able to see them play because he was that guy for me that um, was from the earliest ages, the guy that I would go to um, with anything basketball related and still kind of who I am and I'm helping coach and some of the things I'm still doing, I, I definitely got from my dad. Well, Derek, I really appreciate the time. I appreciate, you know, sharing some memories, some experiences and dropping some knowledge on the yes. initial growth of the game of basketball. So always hey, good to connect and thanks for your time. Hey, Dan, can I say one thing real quick? Um, sure. You had, you had asked before about how people can get involved. I'd, I'd encourage people to check out courtsforkids.org and specifically we're doing this campaign right now called makeshift sports. And if people want to check it out, go to our website and we're asking people to post videos of ways that they're finding creative ways to play sports while they're kind of locked down in their homes. And the whole idea of it is this is what kids around the world are dealing with all the time. You know, every day, this is where we go. We see kids put a, a wire ring and tie it to a tree and shoot hoops through that, or they find creative, creative ways to play. And that's kind of what we're having to do now. Uh, and so we want to try to, you know, promote that and, and have solidarity with these kids around the world. So our kids did it. You know, we have friends who have done it and we're trying to spread the word to get, um, people to post videos showing how they're playing sports during this time. So check us out, courseforkids.org. We've had to cancel kind of all of our upcoming projects, but hopefully we'll be able to resume those soon and would love for anybody to get involved with what we do. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing ways to get involved and learn more about Courts for Kids as well. So Derek, thank you. We appreciate your time. Uh, stay healthy and uh, hopefully see you soon, sooner yes. rather than later. All right. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.